you can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally a polder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. And it is Sunday, May 2, 2021. We are going to talk about uh, Michael Collins' uh, passing. He is one of the three guys who were on the um, Apollo mission uh, where we first landed on the moon. An American hero. Yeah, he, he is, was an American hero. My question is, how do you go through life as the guy who didn't walk on the moon? <laughs> I mean, the other two guys got to go. Yeah, and he Armstrong in, and Aldrin, right. Armstrong and Aldrin. Uh, we'll talk about Michael Collins. Uh, we'll talk about uh, Cousin Eddie for governor. I really am intrigued by this idea. Yeah. If you love the National Lampoon Vacation movies, you know Cousin Eddie is Randy Quaid. Yeah. Randy Quaid's going to run for governor in California. So, my goodness, he's going to have to arm wrestle Caitlyn Jenner. And I believe Caitlyn Jenner is a much better athlete than Randy Quaid. (laughs) Not close. Not close. Not even close. Not close with virtually anybody on the planet, I'm sure. Uh, She's still got the skills that uh, landed her the gold medal Years ago. We're t- going to talk about whether Rudy Giuliani is going to be sharing a cell with Donald Trump because uh, we know that uh, his home and his office, they were raided by the FBI this last week and they scooped up a bunch of electronic devices. And we're going to talk about uh, Trump's uh, pardons. Uh, I didn't even know about this. Uh, Chip Franklin on KGO, uh, uh, I was with him a few days ago and he said, hey, what do you think about these uh, pocket pardons? I said, say what? What do you think I am, a legal analyst? <laughs> And he said, yeah, I understand that it's possible that Donald Trump issued a pardon, didn't tell anybody. It's in an envelope, you know, in a, in a safe someplace, a mayonnaise jar on Funkin' Wagnall's porch. That's a little <laughs> archaic reference for those of you who are Johnny Carson fans. And who knew it was the thing? Apparently, there's no actual precedent for it. But we're going to get into that, plus the Matt Gates uh, drama over possible pardons as well. Before we get into those issues, though, Connor, I wanted to uh, pass along a kind of an intriguing fact uh, for you, and that has to do with the fact that, um, <laughs> bizarrely, very strangely, Joseph Stalin uh, is about to uh, rule India. Interesting. Yeah, and and maybe you won't be shocked once I explain that uh, about who just won an election in Namibia. So here's the background. A politician named after the murderous Russian dictator Joseph Stalin is poised to win power in Indian state elections. Sure, sure. Uh, sure. Exit polls suggested uh, Stalin Dravida Munetra, I won't try to pronounce the rest of his name, uh, is likely to win. He was named after Stalin in a tribute to the communist dictator by his dad, Mr. M. Uh, Karun Adini, a left-wing four-time chief minister of the state. Mm Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, Connor, uh, Mr. Stalin joins an elite group of two politicians uh, known for being named after murderous dictators. He shares this dubious honor with Namibia's own Adolf Hitler. Yes, Adolf Hitler 
Uona, U-U-N-O-N-A, age 54, was catapulted into unlikely international stardom when his party won a regional election in November in Namibia. He told the Namibian his dad didn't understand what Adolf Hitler stood for when he named him after the German dictator. That's all. Uh, I didn't have a choice. I was a baby when my father yeah. gave me that name. That's how it works. Uh, <laughs> there's nothing I can do to change the name. I well, think they should change the Namibian name change laws yeah. to allow people who are named after Adolf. You can still say nobody else gets to change their name. Right, right, right. But if you're named after Adolf Hitler, I think you should be allowed you know, to change. Don't I you? The one thing we we know about politics is that polls largely exactly mimic uh, name recognition polls. If you ask if you ask people, uh, who do you want as president? And you list wow, 10 so celebrities. Ted Bundy would have a shot absolutely. next time around. You list 10 celebrities on a public opinion poll for who do you think should be president? Yeah. And it will be in exact has descending the order. Factor, yeah. yeah, the b- descending order of, uh, of name recognition. People will simply <laughs> vote for the, the name that they recognize. And so, you know, it probably doesn't hurt. To be named uh, Adolf Hitler. This is a corollary to that there's no such thing as bad publicity, I guess. Yeah, but, yeah exactly. So, so the, he also told the Namibian, uh, it does not mean I have Adolf Hitler's character or resemble that of Adolf Hitler of Germany. I am not like him. Uh, I do not like him. What a relief. He doesn't like That's Adolf good. Hitler. That's, That's good to hear. So we got Stalin in power. We've got Hitler in power. Uh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> so Michael Collins, uh, R.I.P., uh, so in 1969, in July, for the very first time in human history, in history, um, man walked on to the moon. Uh, Neil Armstrong was the first, and then Buzz Aldrin uh, got to walk. Uh, Michael Collins was their colleague. And the way it worked, I guess, was that you know, there were two parts to the spacecraft. Uh, the big part, Michael Collins stayed in, and he kept circula- circling, uh, orbiting the moon. Mm-hmm. And meantime, in the lunar module, the smaller capsule, it, it flew down, carrying the two guys who were lucky enough to be able to sit step uh, foot on the moon. And they did that, and then they got back in, and they fired it up, and thank goodness it uh, they, they turned the key, and the engine started, and up they went, mm-hmm. redocked with Michael Collins, and off they went home. Yeah, and Michael Not- did one loop around the moon. Uh, right. While they were down on the surface, no need to do multiple loops. We're just there to touch down first. It, it, don't don't strain, stress things. Just do the one loop and then get out of there. That's right. And he wrote a memoir called Carrying the Fire in 1974. And this is how Michael Collins uh, described it. He said, when he was on the dark side of the moon, I am alone now, truly alone and absolutely isolated from any known life. So, I mean, I, I'm just wondering what must it have been like, and perhaps I should read his uh, his books, what must uh, it have been like to be part of this endeavor, this historic endeavor, even though you didn't get to personally set foot on the moon? I yeah. mean, you were one third of the effort. In 300,000 years of human history, nobody has done it for millennia. So many millennia, billions of human beings have gazed up at the moon and, and known uh, there's absolutely no way you can dream. It's unattainable. It's unfathomable. And finally, we did it. Those three guys did it. What the? I mean, he had to know he'd be known for the rest of his life. Yes, as part of this heroic team, but also the one guy that didn't get to walk on the moon. Wouldn't, yeah, pretty wouldn't brutal. that, yeah. It might weigh be on way you? At you. Yeah, it might. Honestly, though, he... He doesn't get to that point without in a vacuum. Well, literally, he was in a vacuum. But right, he doesn't get to that point without the context of how do you end up on that mission? They, the 
you know, NASA sits down to design this mission. They plan certain roles. They say, okay, who knows if it was originally two or three or five people they were planning to put on the surface of the moon or one, who knows? But at some point they decided, okay, it's best to have a two-man team. You're right, hundreds of hugely qualified people tried out to be on this three-man team, and he was one of them. It may be that he never even wanted to be one of the people who touched down, unlikely. But even if he did, when NASA says, okay, it's here's our plan for the mission, it's going to be one person who stays in the ship and one person who goes down, even getting to be that close. I mean, in my mind, it, it, I might, I might, as a Michael Collins type person, want to feel that I contributed to the project more by being the mission commander who stays on Earth, but directs all the guys at screens, you know, and like we see in Apollo 13, um, who, you know, chain smokes cigarettes and stresses out about what's happening mm-hmm. uh, on those screens. Uh, maybe that feels like a bigger piece of the contribution uh, than even going into space and being an actual astronaut. Well, maybe so in support of your theory, I, I can tell you that and I didn't realize this until I was reading the obituaries. He was actually given the chance to head up a subsequent Apollo 17 mission and Mm. walk on the moon, and he turned it down. So Apollo 11 in 1969, when, when the guys did walk, that was his last space mission. So he said, you know, my mindset was it's over. We did it. Which is amazing to me because yeah. I would think yeah. that in spite of what you said and, and in spite of what he said, I would think there'd be some part of him that said, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm qualified to do this and I would like to walk on the moon as well. He, he wrote of the moment when, because there was, uh, there was some drama as to whether the guys on the moon, whether the spaceship, I was joking about it, but there was some drama as to whether they would take off safely sure. and, sure. and of course. get to him. And so no on. one had ever taken off in a rocket mm-hmm. from any planet other than Earth. So he wrote about this in his memoir also. He said, my secret terror for the past six months has been leaving them on the moon and returning to Earth alone. Now I am within minutes of finding out the truth of the matter. If they fail to rise from the surface or crash back into it. I am not going to commit suicide. I am coming home forthwith, but I will be a marked man for life, and I know it. So, yeah. and you think of Insane. this as being oh. romantic and the fame and so on, right. but a lot of responsibility. And- I'd like to think that he has a different perspective than other sort of uh, people who rise to the pinnacle of their profession, right? The guy who goes to the World Series um, and or tries to go to the World Series and, and and finally makes it and then loses the World Series might be tortured by the fact that by that fact at the end of his career, like I never got to actually get a ring, I never got to actually. Bill you know, Buckner hoist. letting the ground ball go through his legs uh, when he was with the Red Sox, right? And if a mission you know fails, uh, that's one thing. But let's imagine another guy who gets to go to the World Series with his team, uh, say a relief pitcher or uh, you know a pinch hitter who never actually starts or plays a minute in the World Series, but still gets the ring or hoists the trophy with his team. He might feel left out, but that's because that's the perspective of a professional athlete who prides himself or herself on personal accomplishment and attainment. I would like to think, hopefully, that the mind of a NASA astronaut is that of a scientist who understands the concept of, you know, advancing the human race over individual attainment. And maybe it never bothered him at all because he felt 
like he said in that uh, in that interview, we did it. It was accomplished, you know, as a team. And so maybe yep. it didn't haunt him, whereas it might haunt you and I who have smaller, more selfish human brains. <laughs> and speaking of someone who prides himself on personal accomplishment and attainment, Connor, there's Randy Quaid, <laughs> famous for playing Cousin Eddie in the many Which National Lampoon vacation movies. Great movie. Plus a, great a, a, a huge body of work from, you know, Last Picture Show and so many other movies. Cousin Eddie for governor, okay? That's what we're going to talk about next right. on Too Many Lawyers. But first, Connor's going to tell you how to rate and subscribe the podcast. Yeah, if you're enjoying our uh, space talk, uh, it may be a rare occurrence, but we'll have other uh, lofty topics to discuss. <laughs> so check us out every week on uh, this podcast, and you can do that by going to whatever podcast platform you use to get your pods every week. Usually, for most of you, that's going to be Apple Podcasts, but it might be anything else, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, whatever else. Uh, and make sure when you go get that pod, hit the subscribe button so you see us automatically every week instead of having to go retrieve it whenever you remember. And also leave us a review. Leave us a comment. We really appreciate them. We always read them uh, and it helps a lot. We'll be right back. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. Cousin Eddie for governor. Okay, that's that's the uh, the slogan I like. Uh, we got a uh, recall election coming up in California for Governor Newsom uh, to see whether he should be out. Uh, they're going to vote yes or no, up or down. And if uh, more no votes uh, come in than yes votes, then automatically uh, the winner of uh, the uh, the derby. Joe among- Biden as president politics is just too boring. We need to spice it up. Uh, that's for sure. He is a little a little bit boring. Um, so uh, Cousin Eddie uh, is thinking about running for governor. Um Actor Randy Quaid, seriously considering it. Of course, he was in uh, The Last Detail, Independence Day, and as I mentioned, the National Lampoon films. Uh, he had some legal issues. Uh, an arrest in 2009 for using Ooh, an invalid hasn't. credit card at a hotel in Santa Barbara. Uh, so he's going to have maybe explained that. Uh, he's had a lot of legal stuff going on, actually, Connor. In 2006, he uh, had acted in Brokeback Mountain. He sued the producer. Uh, for misrepresenting the film as a low-budget art house film with no prospect for making money to get <laughs> his acting services. And so I'm not sure how that lawsuit turned out. As I mentioned, in 2009, he and his wife were arrested for allegedly defrauding an innkeeper in Santa Barbara. They ended up uh, paying most of the bill later. Uh, the They were arrested then for repeatedly failing to appear in court. And uh, then the case was dismissed. Uh, his wife, uh, Evie, pled no contest to a misdemeanor count of fraud. Uh, he and his wife um, in 2010 were charged with burglary after they spent five days occupying a guest house in Santa Barbara. They get into trouble uh, in Santa Barbara. Yeah. Uh, you think all of these legal issues are, are going to be a problem for Randy? You think uh, the, uh, the population of California would be reluctant to uh, to reward a guy like that with the, with the highest I, office? I think if uh, if Trump is any example, then the legal issues uh, he's he's suffering through uh, will only help his image. I mean, right, as we discussed earlier with uh, Mr. Stalin uh, trying to win elected office, no press is bad press. And uh, Randy will just be able to say, look, the establishment's trying to keep me down with legal problems, constantly oppressing me. I mean, anybody who wrote, votes for Randy Quaid for governor probably has legal issues of their own uh, and probably will just find it more relatable. I mean, the guy is in no way, a con- nobody has... Name a political position that Randy Quaid has ever taken that you 
it can even recall or think of. It doesn't matter. It's totally irrelevant. These celebrities during these, especially California recall elections, if you remember the Schwarzenegger recall, of course, the obvious uh, uh, corollary, not Schwarzenegger recall, but the Gray Davis recall that resulted in Schwarzenegger winning. Right. It was an insane, incredible, hilarious political circus where people came out of the woodwork because they didn't have to go through the normal political process of becoming the Democratic nominee or whatever. Right. It was a free for all. And for everybody except Schwarzenegger and maybe one or two other people, I think maybe the lieutenant governor was running. It, it was all just a fun, you know, circus joke. Uh, you know, they paid their money and they got their name out there and they got publicity and so on. Right. But, uh, but you know, California does have a pretty rich history uh, of, of putting uh, celebrities into public office. And of it's course, true. you think of Ronald, Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan? Uh, first governor, two terms, and then obviously as president. Uh, before that... Um, George Murphy was a song and dance man. Uh, he had a, had a decent career as, a, as an actor in the 30s, 40s, 50s. And he was elected to the U.S. Senate in California in 1964. And toward the end of his term, when I was in high school, uh, we took a trip back to Washington, D.C. And I got to meet the great man. Really? Shake his hand and did so on. Did he do a song and dance for you? He did not. I, what? He was past that. Oh. Uh, so I got to meet uh, George Murphy. Um, and of course, oh, who was the guy who played gopher on the love boat? You know, I'm not going to be the right person to answer that so question. The, uh, the conceit of this show is that we are from different eras. That's true. So the, the fun the gag about this guy, and I'm blanking on his name, but he was one of the stars of The Love Boat. The love and boat. so he's now in Congress. And so he's getting onto an elevator and, and a, an intern gets on the elevator at the same time. The intern sees him, spots him as Gopher from Love Boat. Of course. So the intern says to the sitting congressman, uh, Lido Deck, please. And... The intern was fired. Of course. <laughs> and I was, shortly thereafter, the guy lost his uh, election, uh, re-election bid, I think. Sounds like the joke was worth it. So Clint Eastwood was elected mayor of Carmel uh, for one term in 1986. Sonny Bono ran for Palm Springs mayor uh, out of frustration with all the red tape. And he won in 1988. Then he moved up to Congress. And his wife then was able to take over his seat in Congress after uh, he was killed in that awful uh, skiing accident. Uh, child actor Shirley Temple uh, got several ambassadorships. So yeah, we've got a we've got this rich heritage, rich history, and so maybe Caitlyn Jenner uh, and Randy Quaid, uh, maybe they could have a, a ticket. You know, one be, would be governor and one would be lieutenant governor. Uh, I mean, when COVID happens and politicians are inevitably saddled with the baggage of a major crisis. It's entirely possible that wacky political outcomes will happen. I mean, you could say the energy crisis was what led to Gray Davis's downfall. Um, You can ascribe a lot of blame directly to Gray Davis for the bad results of the energy crisis or it happening at all, the deregulation that preceded it, blah, blah, blah. But it's entirely possible that the whims of the electorate will be such that they will blame Newsom for whatever bad outcomes COVID caused. Deserving or undeserving, and that crisis will usher in a new era of the kingdom of Quaid, and he will rule over us with an iron fist, um, (laughs) and he will decree that all Santa Barbara uh, hotels are free for him and his family and his progeny forever, and and we will have to uh, live with that. Which, you know what, I mean— we could use a little bit of political shakeup, right? Joe Biden, like I said, boring, uh, you know, news ratings on left and right, Fox and CNN, they're all in the toilet. Nobody's watching anymore. So might as well, you know, make things interesting. again. We'll, we'll see. We'll see if Randy's uh, serious about this. So Rudy Giuliani, uh, uh, are he and Donald Trump going to share a prison cell? That's the question this last week. 
The uh, the FBI showed up at 6 a.m., uh, banged on his door on his uh, apartment, uh, at his apartment there in Manhattan. They also went to his office, and they seized a bunch of devices. They seized the uh, the laptops and the cell phones and so on. So what happens then— Rudy has like five cell phones, by the way. He keeps oh, you know sure. referencing them in interviews and showing them— Probably back, in the Borat movie. Back yeah. in the day, he was, uh, you know, on when he was working directly for Trump, he was on TV and, and, uh, in interviews, and he's waving the, his— cell phones and uh, multiple cell phones at the to, at the camera saying, look, it's all in here. All the proof is in here that I'm a good guy. So, of course, he's going to turn around and get all those seized. Good job, Rudy. So what, what are they saying about him? Well, uh, we know from what's in the search warrant and also just from leaks, uh, there's this law called the Foreign Agent Registration Act. FARA. F-A-R-A. F-A-R-A. And this federal law says if you're going to lobby the U.S. government at the request of a foreign official, or a foreign country, you've got to disclose this. You've got to register yeah. as an agent of the foreign government. Yeah, with the Department of Justice. And allegedly, he didn't do it. So what's the background? Well, uh, during the last election, Ukraine was uh, really important on various fronts. And allegedly, uh, a bunch of people uh, inside the Ukraine, some officials in the government, really wanted the ambassador uh, to the Ukraine from the United States to be fired. And so, or kidnapped, you know, either way. Yeah, Marie Yovanovitch. Mm-hmm. And and so, allegedly, Rudy was lobbying the U.S. government to get her fired, and in fact, she was fired. Right. And there was a little quid pro quo, some some back scratching on both sides. Rudy Giuliani really wanted uh, Ukrainians to investigate whether there was corruption by Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. And so, that's the allegation: is that there really was some lobbying going on by Rudy Giuliani. And he didn't register, and this is a violation. Now, in order to get the search warrant, uh, you have to convince a judge uh, that there's probable cause that a crime has been committed. And that means that a reasonable person would suspect that a crime has been committed. It's not as high a bar as you see in, in a criminal case beyond a reasonable doubt at trial, but it is a lower bar that is required uh, to be satisfied to issue a search warrant. So some federal judge felt that there was probable cause to believe that Rudy Giuliani uh, violated the law. And it's interesting, Connor, he went on TV, on Fox, of course, but also on the Today Show, making his case, kind of ignoring the traditional advice by lawyers. Shut up! Yeah, clam up. Uh, The the, the guys on the other side are taking notes, every single syllable you utter. Right. You think it's ultimately going to bite him in the behind that he he did this? Probably will. I mean, the the classic advice of don't... uh, talk uh, about investigations that are going against you uh, is very wise because anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law of course i mean we have the right to remain silent for a reason this is a uh this is a, as as commentators are are jumping all over themselves to point out rightly this is a an extraordinary uh move to make against the the, a lawyer, an general, attorney, right. especially an attorney for the lawyer as prominent the as the president. president, right? So, because when you t- do a search warrant, um, you're finding everything. You're going to find uh, every piece of privileged document, material, privileged included. material included. And once that material is out there in the hands of the government, even and thus you might try to keep it under lock and key, of course. Uh, but once it's out there. Um, the, the concept of privilege that allows a lawyer to shield attorney-client communications 
uh, from uh, the public and public disclosure or even from disclosure to the government is gone. You can't it, it's meaningless to try to enforce it uh, because once it's out of the lawyer's hands, it's done. I mean, you can waive attorney client privilege uh, as easily as uh, by storing attorney client privileged documents in an unlocked file cabinet in your uh, office as a lawyer. What if people, the public has access to that unlocked file cabinet? The fact that they had access to it and somebody walked in, opened the file cabinet and took it out, that has been held in the past to be a waiver of attorney-client privilege because you didn't keep those documents under lock and key. There was a, a potential for exposure to the public and someone took advantage of that to go get the material. You can't then run to the uh, the judge and say, oh, I judge, I didn't intend for anyone to walk into my office and open the open file cabinet and pull out the documents and walk out of it. But that hasn't protected people you in know, the past. You, the issue you raise uh, has kind of an interesting uh, side issue, and, and that is when you throw your uh, crap out in the garbage yeah. uh, and put it out on the street every yeah. week, yeah. Uh, it's been established by the courts that it's fair game. Yeah, um, you threw it away. Yeah, you know, 60 Minutes can come along. Mm-hmm. Or anybody the cops can come, can, along. can come along. Yeah, the cops can and take a look at your garbage. So I wonder if anybody in the court system has addressed the issue of whether if you have an attorney-client privilege uh, item, and let's say you tear it up into yeah. three or four pieces and throw it in the garbage, and you put it in the street, would that kind of, that didn't sound like a waiver to me? Sounds like a waiver to me. No, absolutely. No. I, no, you I, tore it up. You absolutely intended nobody to ever see it. But well, your and you took a reasonable step. But is it a who, reasonable step? Who to, knew that now, the cops would come by and go, f- sift through your garbage, fully shred the document to where it's unrecoverable? That's a reasonable step. Tear it into four pieces, not a reasonable step. What if it's 16 pieces? What if 16 pieces? That's the question. I think it really is a matter of how many pieces, right? Like at a certain point where it's unreasonable. We certainly can. How else? Because otherwise you can't say that I took reasonable steps other than to to assess the degree of reasonableness, which is measured by the difficulty of reassembly, right? So you're saying if Rudy took a hammer and struck a laptop with one blow. Right, right, right. That would not be a waiver, but it would be a waiver. But if he did it with 16 blows. That's not a waiver. uh, Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm not sure if the, the law is number a fickle of mistress. Blow test, yeah. <laughs> so we'll see uh, whether uh, this is bad news for Rudy Giuliani. And I mean, it's, of course, some people, uh, the folks who aren't real big fans of Donald Trump, are hoping that maybe he'll flip and uh, point the finger at Donald Trump, and the, the two of them will be sharing a prison cell. And that's segueing, I think, into our next topic. Everybody's flipping on everybody, right? Yes. Uh, when we come back, we are going to be talking about Joel uh, Greenberg. Yeah, and whether Donald Trump issued secret pardons just. Just before he left office. Can't wait. Can't wait to stick with us on Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So I have to confess, as I mentioned earlier, I'd never even heard of this concept of a secret pardon. I was on... Uh, also with, called a pocket pardon. Yeah. I was on with Chip Franklin of KGO this week, and he asked me, uh, uh, embarrassed me horribly on the air. He said, hey, Royal, what do you think about this secret pardon thing? Say, what? What are you talking about, Chip? So Chip had heard... That it's a thing, apparently, yeah, that so, people are at least worried about that Trump could have issued a pardon to somebody for anything and everything. And they, the guy's got the pardon in his safe deposit box, but he hasn't told the world. And apparently there's no actual requirement yeah, that makes the president publicize right. his, his pardon. So the president's pardon power comes from the Constitution. And there's nothing in the Constitution that says that when you issue or sign the pardon, pardoning somebody for uh, uh, any set of crimes or single crime, whatever, there's no constitutional requirement 
requirement that you tell people that you did it. But it sounds so sneaky. It, yeah. And but, I don't know that any president has ever been demonstrated to have done it. Well, that's probably uh, because most people, when they receive a pardon, would very much like to stop whatever legal processes are currently uh, being you know levied against them. But at the same time, if somebody's getting a pardon for un- announced or not publicly known crimes, then it behooves them to keep that pocket, uh, that pardon in their pocket, because of course, a pardon comes with an admission of guilt, right? If you, if you are receiving a pardon, you're saying, I did this and I would like to be pardoned for it because without that admission of guilt, you can't accept the pardon by, by accepting the pardon and the protections that the pardon gives you, you are admitting guilt. So that is a very controversial thing that is, you know, tripped up a lot of people where they basically say, oh my gosh, I don't want to get a pardon. I'd rather just be exonerated. Right. But that comes with risk. So uh, Lawrence Tribe is a professor of constitutional law at Harvard Law School, big famous guy. He uh, was one of the members of the team for Al Gore and the big Bush versus Gore uh, uh, intergalactic So he's a big loser fight. is what you're saying. Uh, well, the, he did lose that that uh, particular case. Who doesn't that's, lose that's a case true. every and once that, in a while? That, was, uh, that had to hurt. Uh, that yeah. one's going to leave one stinks. a mark. That one stings. So he was asked about the pocket pardons, and he says, oh, I certainly can't say that they are clearly impermissible, but I can say that I think there's at least a constitutional cloud over them. In other words... He has no freaking no idea, idea no, either. Not. But here, here's what he, he, he said to try to undermine the, the viability or, or legality of it. He said, well, there would be no way to prove it was issued on a certain date in an official capacity. Um, well, I disagree with that. I mean, Donald Trump's good with video. He could go into Times Square at 3 a.m. And, and, and say into the camera, okay, as you can see from the big clock behind me, yeah. you know, it's midnight on January 15, yeah. and I'm issuing a pardon. So I, I think Professor and even if it's Trump not airtight proof, you can st- it's still proof, right? It's like how eyewitness testimony might yeah. not be dependable, I think, I think but it's still proof. we could pretty well establish that, that, yeah. it, that it happened. Somebody before, could w- yeah. pull a, a J- Rudy could wave his iPhone at the camera just like he does on CNN and uh, prove what day and time it is. Absolutely. So turning to the Matt Gates situation, uh, he had this wingman who was some sort of a Joel ta- Greenberg, tax collector guy down the, in Florida. Yeah, he was the Seminole County tax collector and the Seminole County tax collector. Every state does things differently, but the tax collector in Florida is a very... They do things really differently <laughs> in Florida. <laughs> He's a very central political figure. He's The, the tax collector's office does a lot of different things. It's kind of like the DMV for them. They, if you if you need you know documents issued, you go to the tax collector's office. If you need your license renewed or whatever, um, uh, not not your driver's license, I don't think maybe, but your, your business license, you go to the tax collector. So they're a big, uh, a complicated office with a lot of government services that they provide. And he was this is the elected official that runs that department. And he was Matt Gates's social friend. Right. So Matt Gates, I, I guess we can speculate about what well, somebody's got a, a secret pocket pardon, but but we haven't heard anything about that in connection with Gates. But but apparently um, this wingman for Matt Gates did ask Roger Stone. Right. So he wants a pardon from Trump, naturally, Joel Greenberg, because Joel Greenberg in the end of 2020, before Trump leaves office, so, you know, November, October, November, December area of 2020, is under a lot of pressure. Pressure uh, from federal uh, investigators, right? Um, here's the uh, here's the quote from from Joel Greenberg in this letter that he writes to Roger Stone. Mm-hmm. He writes, "The FBI, DOJ, Secret Service, and a bunch of people from D.C. have repeatedly made attempts to meet with me lately. I have declined, but they are definitely ramping up pressure. Quote: They want me to flip." Greenberg wrote to Stone. They made offers which I've declined. I even fired my lawyers this week because they tried to convince me to cooperate uh, with those people, the DOJ, FBI, Circuit Secret Service. 
and that a pardon was impossible. So this is Greenberg, Joel Greenberg, saying, uh, look, Mr. Stone, uh, uh, you know, I really want a pardon from Trump. And Roger Stone responds to him and says, oh, yeah, maybe that's possible. Greenberg says, uh, would $250,000 grease the wheels here? Would that is that what's required to so make this happen? So why isn't Roger Stone in prison for uh, in being involved in a, a bribe for a pardon? Very good question. I mean, I mean, do we know for sure that this happened? Did, did Roger say, oh, no, that would be illegal. That would be wrong. I'm not going to do that. I mean, do we, do we he, really have any facts about that? The, the, the conversation between them does not include uh, Roger Stone responding to Greenberg's offer of $250,000, where he says, would $250,000 help? Mm-hmm. Or is this not a financial thing? And uh, uh, Stone responds uh, and changes the subject and just moves on and doesn't talk about the money, which clearly means, yeah, it's a financial thing. Uh, you know, so maybe is we'll Greenberg going to be prosecuted for oh, for Greenberg's bri- for bribing? already the most I prosecuted mean, not, man not f- in America. Yeah, but but specifically for trying to uh, to make uh, submit a bribe for a pardon. I I don't know if that's in the the litany of of charges that Greenberg has already. Uh, has already uh, uh, been been charged with. Okay. But in this letter, uh, Roger Stone ba- basically says, uh, OK, so, Mr. Greenberg, uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, you can get a pardon from Trump in, in some way, some form or another. And the best way to do that, naturally, is to tell us what crimes you committed. And by Whoa. telling us what t- crimes you committed, you got, that means write us a letter describing all the things you want to be pardoned for. So he did write a letter so Greenberg, listing all of the stuff yeah, that he did? Greenberg writes this letter. That's what the, the FBI, DOJ, they're all trying to flip. That's from the letter, right? So right. The, the letter in the in the letter, he writes out uh, all his crimes, including that he uh, he says that he and Matt Gates had sex with a, a girl who they believed was 19, but who was actually 17. They found out afterwards. Um, and then afterwards, he finds out he, he calls up Gates and calls the, the congressman and says, stay clear of this woman because uh, she's underage. Uh, Gates was uh, shocked and disturbed by this revelation. Uh, and then he, he calls the woman. Uh, Greenberg calls the woman up and says, oh, you you, you endangered all these these powerful men by putting them in <laughs> this situation us into trouble. Yeah. And then he says and, and then uh, there was no more contact between uh, her and me and Gates until she was 18, until she was 18. Fantastic. Incredible. Like, (laughs) you couldn't write this better. So they go back and have sex with this woman and pay her for it again after she's 18. So is this letter, I mean, out in the public or is it just leaks and we don't actually have have it confirmed yet? The letter is in, in, in the hands of a news outlet called The Daily Beast. Um, who has published these excerpts. Right. Um, but uh, I don't know if the full text of, of the letter uh, is out there. This is this is a letter written by Greenberg after he has been um, uh, under after he's put under federal indictment and then asked Roger Stone for the pardon. So it's possible that uh, for some reason it's it's somehow, you know, being you know restricted access to it. I mean, they published so much of the letter and of the communications between uh, Greenberg and Stone that it's hardly meaningful if if they withheld some part of it. Like, we don't need any more. Uh, it's pretty provocative this. what yeah. you've j- just already described. And reportedly by the Daily Beast, the Daily Beast says that their source for this is Stone. That Roger Stone is the one who gave them the letter and the text message wow. conversations. I mean, couldn't you can you imagine the stupidity of giving over a list uh, assigned, you know, basically an affidavit describing all the crimes that you and a congressman committed together to the one person on earth who's the least trustworthy political activist. Like, 
It's Roger Stone. On right? the other hand, Roger got his own pardon from uh, from Trump, so maybe maybe he was a, a good source to approach. And maybe the guy figured, okay, it's a gamble, but you know what? I'm going uh, down anyway. Why I'm not? going down anyway. Right. You're Truly right. amazing. Well, you can call then. Both Gates and um, Greenberg are just going to have to hope that there was a pocket secret pardon that the Trump issued just for fun. That, I can't that wait. I, I haven't wait. heard about, and it's going to be under the tree uh, on Christmas <laughs> to to surprise them later this year. All right, we are done for the week, but we do hope you have a fantastic week, and uh, we'll see you next time on Too Many Lawyers. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.